It's episode 116 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Bean. Today on the program is Erin Casali. She's a leadership coach and senior director of product design at Zero, and she joins us to talk about feedback, giving it, getting it, and using it to thrive in your career as a designer. Erin, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, hello, everyone. Thank you. Ah, it's wonderful to have you here. It's wonderful to talk about feedback. This has been a big theme uh, for me, professional, well, personally and professionally, for the, the past. Uh, well, I'll be honest with you. For the the time that we have been in lockdown, uh, it has been a, a little bit. You know, like how how do I know if I'm doing a good job? How does every how do I make sure everybody else knows they're doing a good job? How do we? just communicate more effectively when we can't just be in the same room and read each other as easily as before. I can't wait to get into all of that. But before we do, I'd love to hear a little bit about just your background and what brought you here. Um, I, you know, I was reading your bio. You have this interesting sort of intersection between design and psychology and business and technology. I, you know, and, and I find the, the, the sort of the Venn diagram of all of those things fascinating, especially around how we weave psychology into all of this. So uh, I'd love to hear how you all how you got started. Yeah, no, it's I'll be I'll be clear when I was deciding what would be my career and my choice of study. I actually wanted to do psychology, uh-huh. and it just happened that I was like, ah, you know what? Technology allows me to do things more in practice. I was already working as a developer. So I started doing computer science and then I got super lucky because my professor at the time created almost the year after I was finishing a master hybrid in design and psychology. Mm. So it was a great combination for me. And, and yeah, my path from there was literally over time to shift from development to, you know, design for visual, then UX. And then I got a really good chance to try leadership. Uh, so I managed a smaller team. And from there, it was just that, you know, psychology plays really well with organizational design. (laughs) So working in a more uh, director capacity, combining my psychology knowledge with organizational design and all these factors, it's kind of a great sweet spot for me. (laughs) Mm, That's great. And that's also a really interesting nuance, right? Because in my Earlier in my career, I was very interested in psychology from the perspective of perception mm-hmm. and, and, you know, very much like how can we create things uh, that are more successful for users using what we understand about how people make decisions and process uh, information and, you know, things like that. Um, and then later in my career is more along the lines of what you've been ta- you're talking about just now, which is how do people interact with one another and how do we develop teams? And that's probably the shift from individual contributor to leadership, right? How do we get this group of people here to, uh, to perform, to work together, to feel safe, you know, and all of those things. And it's two interesting aspects of psych- psychology uh, kind of transforming over the years. I imagine you found something similar. Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same, exactly. So, you know, understanding the user is essential to everything we do. Sure. And then it shifts understanding our team, uh, the extended team, the whole organization, collaboration practices and so on. And a lot of it is change management in both cases, because if you're changing an interface or you're changing a process, you really need to understand what's the value in, what they're thinking, what's their mental model, you know, and that's a lot of psychology. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, 
you know, it's interesting then t- taking more the sort of group dynamics of how your team is is behaving and working. Um, one of the one of the themes that I've been going through over the past few years is is this notion of candor, right? This idea of uh, being as honest as you can possibly be with somebody else, while at the same time holding them in respect and even with compassion, right? Because you know, uh, honesty can be terribly brutal at times, but, uh, but if we take the perspective of candor as like, I care about you and I want to give you this information, if you do that or this feedback, um, and that was, you know, one of the things that I found, um, the, the book by, uh, Ed Catmull from, from Pixar creativity Inc was very much about this idea of like, can we make the best possible creative environment through this idea of candor? And so when I saw that you are, you know, you're giving some talks and you've done some writing on feedback, I thought, oh, that'd be great. A great opportunity for us to kind of dig in and see like, how can we collect feedback more effectively? How can we give feedback more effectively? How does it play out in a culture? How does it play out in the politics of an organization? Um, uh, Tell me a little bit about sort of your approach to this, why you find it interesting, why you've spent some time on it. Uh, Yeah. So... There are very different angles we can take here. One that I would mention briefly, we can do a deeper dive, is the candor point is to me essential Mm. because there is like this perception that, you know, sincere feedback, good, like direct feedback is rude, you know? And it's like, we, we concede that. We say, oh no, I wasn't rude. I was just trying to be as direct as I can. But that's a myth. Like that's entirely a construct of our society that is just saying, assimilating the two things together. Mm. And even more, that actually makes your feedback harder to be effective, harder to be received. So rudeness actually isn't just you know a human issue. It's actually a feedback issue. You're making your feedback worse. So when you talk about candor and you talk about communication, um, for example, I could refer, and that's uh, Catmull is more, uh, and Pixar are more on the creative side. Yeah. On the management side, we have Kim Scott with Radical Candor, for example. Sure. But it's yeah. the same concept, right? It's the same idea of caring about the person. Because if you're truly caring about the person, then even the most difficult feedback, and sometimes it is difficult, can be shaped and framed in a way that is positive. Mm. that changes everything yeah yeah no i like that i like that 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 even criticism can come through in a very positive and maybe even empowering way yes yeah so uh where do we start (laughs) uh, i'm imagining uh somebody listening to this podcast sitting in a team of a dozen people all the dynamics all the relationships wanting to know not only are they doing their best in their job, but where they stand in the in the group and things like that. Where, where does somebody start when they want to uh, sort of develop both their ability to give and receive the feedback? Yeah, so there, we can destructure feedback in many ways. The, there is a macro distinction that I want to make that is it changes a little bit if you're talking about uh, design feedback or design critique around a project, mm. or if you're talking about critique or feedback in general around the person, their behavior or their growth. So these two, there is there are some nuances, but there are also a lot of common principles. And that's pretty much my approach because I think if we get the principles right, 
we can also apply this regardless if we're doing one or the other. There are some nuances, there are some changes, but it's pretty much the same, right? Yeah. And so the starting point, um, we usually talk about giving and receiving. Um, but for me, there is an extra element that I would always introduce that is asking. Ah, yeah. And that seems like so banal, so obvious, um, but it makes a huge difference. Even if it's just the three seconds it takes, can I give you feedback? Because that alone, rarely people will say no, first of all. Uh, and if they do, you can say, okay, can we do this tomorrow? You know, it becomes more of a... But you're also framing that as, are you open? And yeah. so the other person is like giving consent to get into the mental space where they're ready to receive it. And that's key. That's essential. Even if you're giving, receiving, asking, the, the art of asking in a way is what enables everything else. Yeah. Even in context where it's obvious, like even if we are in a context where, oh, this in this hour we are doing a design critique. You can still, you know, frame that. Are you looking for feedback about this? Are, are you okay? Go there, right? Yeah. And that helps. That could be essential. In some cases, could be the difference from being listened to not listened. That's great. That's great. I, I really like that distinction between like, let's, I, I'd like some feedback on the thing I'm showing you versus I'd like some feedback on myself. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, we have, there have been a couple of episodes of this podcast in the past, a few years ago around design critiques and mm -hmm. the way to do that and the way, uh, and, and it was also giving and receiving is, is part of what we were talking about there. The stepping back from ego in the work, like myself oh, in yeah. the work, that the feedback that is coming towards the work doesn't necessarily apply to my skill. Right. And how to give that feedback in such a way that makes that really obvious. Um, and I've been, fascinated with that because I have been in, I don't know how many hundreds, maybe thousands of design reviews and product reviews and things like that over the course of my career. Um, and really trying to cultivate or, or even dismantle the power structures and really mm -hmm. get into, can we find some flow here and really, you know, get the best possible work. Um, and that's a little different from how am I doing as a designer? And so I'm glad you made that distinction, but yeah, I bet you've seen that as well. Yeah, and by the way, I don't know if we want to go there because you touched two topics also that are, one becomes also how you shape the conversation. So even before you start giving feedback, what's the context, what's the environment, how yeah. the people are going to interact. And the other one is how you're planning in the long term for the growth of the person you're working with, especially, yeah. of course, if you're in a management position, right? And so, and this is also why, for example, um, do we all know about the sandwich the idea <laughs> yeah. that you can you start with a good thing you do a bad thing and then you say a, a positive thing right for me that's a, a stupid framing but not because the framing is wrong from time to time it happens that you just use that sequence but it's because it fails to understand that feedback is not atomic happening in one specific moment if i'm working with someone it has been a long journey in an entire process or in an entire piece of career or in, or in a team. So it's not the feedback I'm giving at that moment. It's how I'm shaping the feedback over time and being supporting. Do I show up once every three months and I give you a flood all my feedback, you know? That makes a huge difference. Stable, constant, positive, reinforcing, constructive feedback. It's what makes really the difference. 
And then it doesn't matter if it's a sandwich or not. <laughs> no, you know? that's great. That's that's really good. Um, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's talk about those two things. One is the context, right? That you're getting the feedback, and the other is the 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 growth of the person receiving it, and that that sort of. Um, I like I like that from perspective, especially if we're talking about uh, management or leadership and how you do those things. So, so sort of the I don't know stereotypical scenario would be the one-on-one with your manager, mm-hmm. right? And like that's where you probably are t- are interested in both receiving the most feedback as a as a designer or as a contributor, uh, but also like the context there. And and uh, tell me a little bit about that. What how how does that go wrong? How do we get that right? Um, I think that that's, again, is placed on a timeline, right? So for example, I tend to make um, my one-on-ones as much as I can focus more on on trust building, on personal relationship building, more than anything else. And I let the other person lead the conversation. Unless, of course, they still haven't figured it out. So I, I will help them to shape the conversation. But that also means that that assumes that I've already I'm already been working, and this is especially is essential in a remote environment. That I'm already been working on their own personal development plan. So we may have an artifact, a document that we are co-authoring together, but it doesn't need to be done within the one-on-one, right? So if I'm able to async that part of the conversation. We're already nailing down a lot of the things we want to discuss. And then the one-on-ones becomes more on, you know, the nuances. Because from the document we co-authored separately, maybe it's a Google Doc, a collaborative things we built in the last two weeks. Right. Then in the one-on-one, I already know all the things that are listed there. And I can get into the nuances. And like, okay, what do you mean exactly with this thing? Like, have you, you mentioned this? We, you want to do this kind of career progression. Let's explore a few elements, but I'm building on something that already exists, right? Right. And so the one-on-one becomes incredibly more effective because I'm using that for the thing that one-on-ones shine for, that is to create a kind of relationship with more deeper personal connection. That's great. That's great. That doesn't... um... That that is not consistent with a lot of my experience in bigger organizations. <laughs> no, it's it's challenging. I've been consulting here and there, smaller and bigger organizations. And once you start talking, you know, we started the discussion about feedback, but then it's you follow the trail and becomes about a lot of different things, right? Yeah. And it depends, okay, what's what power do you have to change in your organization? Is it just your team? Do you have, you know, a director, VP? Give um, design officer role, how much impact you can have, how much change you can apply in your organization to put all these things in practice. So it's it's a fascinating discussion, a great discussion about change management and design organizations. Uh, that's fantastic. Let's, um, let's take a little break uh, and we'll be right back. And this episode of Presentable is brought to you by privacy.com. All right, friends, I'm going to tell you a story. I almost got caught out just last week by a phishing attack. I got this text message saying that a package had been held in customs 
Uh, it's trying to be delivered and I needed to pay duty on it. I get this all the time. I get lots of unexpected packages from the US as part of my job. I don't even think twice about it. So I tapped the link. I started filling it, filling in the very accurate looking form. Uh, and I was just about to get my credit card when it occurred to me, hey, wait, I should double check this. Hold on, slow down. I checked the URL. Sure enough, it was totally a scam. Like I dodged a bullet, but just barely. Um, so you know what? Like Privacy.com makes a tool to help in situations like this where, where you might get caught out putting a credit card number into a form that you, didn't ex- that you were expecting something different. Now suddenly somebody's got your data, right? They make it easy to manage your financial life online while keeping your most important information secure by generating virtual credit card numbers. So privacy masks your bank information so you never have to worry about giving out to people you don't know online. This is incredibly important. Like this... Uh, the degree to which we do so much e-commerce, so much uh, shopping and and putting our credit card numbers into so many different websites, use a different credit card number for everyone. It's, it's incredibly easy to do and really important. You can take back control of your payments, decide who can charge your card, how much and how often, and you can close the card, get rid of the number at any time. You can make sure that you're never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent, all of those things. Uh, Privacy has partnered with the good folks at 1Password, an app that I use all the time and love. Uh, You can create, use, and save uh, cards from privacy.com directly within 1Password dashboard. All virtual cards created in 1Password will have the same security benefits as all your other privacy cards, and you can set the spend limits, create single-use, merchant lock cards, whatever you want. So head to privacy.com slash presentable, sign up for an account. If you're a new customer, you'll automatically get $5 in your account to spend on your first purchase, free money. So go to privacy.com slash presentable, sign up now. Our thanks to Privacy for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. So we were talking about the, the dynamic of the like manager, um, employee, uh, one-on-one and feedback. Uh, but we also mentioned the sort of the career path and what availability mm-hmm. and uh, of, of future o- opportunity for, for people. And I know so many people are thinking about that all the time. Like, you know, is this organization right for me? Is this, or, you know, is there a path for me and things like that? But this is also something that people in a position of leadership can really help with the feedback process. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Ah, uh, yes. So it's interesting because I have recently explored a little bit the topic of goal setting at a mm. personal level. Yeah. And I think this plays a, a, a role in this discussion. So let me just do a quick, quick introduction right. for this one. Well, yeah. so there are two dimensions for me. And one is how precise is the goal you have in your mind? So it is a vague goal, like a general direction you're trying to go, or you have a very specific career or decision or thing you want to do, you know? Yep. In the sense, it's like it could be general as if, oh, I want to grow and have more impact in society. Or it could be very specific as is, I want that kind of role in that kind of company. So once you put that specific versus vague in short term and long term, now we, we have a four options that suddenly emerge, right? And so you could have a very specific short term, I want to do this next and a very specific long-term. And that is a mental space where you're basically planning and going ahead and you have a very clear vision, right? 
or you are in a situation when you have a very precise short-term goal and a vague long-term goal. So in that case, it's more of a sense of exploring options. So you go into the next one and then you figure out and you go incrementally step by step. Because you have a direction, you just don't have a clear point of, of target, right? Sometimes you have the options. It is like, I want to go there. I know very specifically the, my end goal, but I don't know. I'm very unsure how I get there. Right. And finally, the most difficult one, also because it's kind of shamed by society and by a lot of experts about goal building, that is you are unsure on both the short and the long term. It doesn't mean you don't know what to do, but it's a very um, special mental state where you are like, you should just stop and look and wait for what are the options, what's happening, what are you feeling, right? What's working for you before you get into the goal setting. And I think this model is really good because once you start figuring this out, you're not forcing people that are in the vague space to set a goal because that would force something unless they want to. Mm -hmm. They want coaching on that, right? But, you know, these kind of differences and assessing where the person is in these four categories helps them setting from a coach perspective, from a manager perspective, where they want to go and how you can support them. Because it's very different if you're supporting them to reach a specific goal, you know, you can do this, I can put you on this project, I can give you more responsibilities compared to an exploration space of vagueness that is more like, okay, let's try a little bit of this. Why don't you go to this like conference where you can meet a lot of different kinds of people? And understanding this helps for me setting the professional development plan and the career plan for someone. Interesting. So they might, for example, if you look at that two by two, grid of short, short-term short versus long-term specific in general. Like if I had a long-term specific goal of like, I want to be the chief design officer of a Fortune 500 company, right? And that might be 20 years from now, but that's like, that's what I, or I might want to be like uh, a published author of a, you know, a, a set of design books that are respected in the industry. It's going to take me a while to get there. Then you set that up very differently than a, a sort of I want to impact the world by improving healthcare through the user experience of whatever. Like that's my area. Ah, that's that's interesting. Exactly. It's interesting. I that I think uh, has been more intuitive and less explicit for me in my career. Uh, largely driven, honestly, by uh, like opportunity and attention span, perhaps like, you know, like I just, uh, I could see career advancement at this company that I'm working at, but I just don't want it. Like, I don't want to like, that just does not interest me. I see what these people are going through trying to get up that ladder or whatever. Yeah. Um, all right. That's really interesting. Um, so that, uh, again, feel that feels like superpower for, for a manager to like, to be able to, to help somebody navigate through that. And it feels very different than let's look at your work and see how your work can be better. <laughs> yes. But also you can see how this then again escalates to the organization because if you're in a larger organization and they have, you know, this like template to do the professional development plan and it the template requires, oh, set a goal of where, where you're going to be in the next six months. <laughs> if you're in a vague space, you're like, well, I don't know. I, and it's correct. It's okay to not know that. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. Interesting. That's great. And so then uh, maybe we apply that across a, a whole team. So a design manager could 
almost like have a portfolio of people that have varying different goals and matching that out. How do you think about that with the, the dynamics of your team? Yeah, at, at the team level, it's it's very interesting because it really comes from the understanding of each person and how they complement together. And so you can do a lot in terms of cross-skilling. Um, for example, just putting the two different people working on the same project. This is comes, I think this is more tactical. Like, yeah. okay, I know that you want to grow in that direction. I know you want to grow in that direction. And I know that if I put you two together, you're going to benefit each other for each other's knowledge. And sometimes this could be done very um, subtly. Just, you know, work on this project together and it's going to be fine. But some other time it needs to be more explicit. Um, it could be due to a power dynamic, but also it could be because some people are very insecure about their own skills. And I noticed that if you tell that kind of person that he is expert, they have seniority. They are just unsure. But if I tell them, now you are mentoring this person, then it clicks. It helps them to say, oh, now I'm in the role of the person that can help my teammate. Ah, yeah. And that unlocks a lot of things because now you, you have the permission <laughs> to express your expertise and you are validated in that expertise. And that role doesn't have to last forever, right? It could be just for the three, six months of the collaboration between the two people. But it can be an incredibly powerful technique for to help fight imposter syndrome, for example. And the double benefit. So you train someone to train people, they receive the knowledge, but also you validate them. So it's a very simple thing, just the label of you're mentoring them now. Yeah. So powerful. That is so powerful. And what... Uh... What a wonderful way also to sort of facilitate onboarding of new people into the organization, right? Especially as, design, as teams grow um, and, the, and the dynamics of the team grow or change rather to have people as a way of elevating people in, uh, in their careers to, to put them in a mentorship position. That's great. I think you also hinted to another aspect, or at least you reminded me of another thing that is transparency. And we can touch here a topic that is a crossroad between feedback and remote work, but more specifically, asynchronous work. Mm -hmm. So, And what I mean with this is that, um, for example, video critique or being in the same room kind of critique for a design can be very powerful, but at the same time are closed up. So it's just the people that are in the room that are going to benefit from that. Now, remote work. And specifically, again, asynchronous work, because you could be in the same room and still do asynchronous uh, communication. So if you're able to create a feedback practice that is asynchronous. So, for example, I usually suggest a concept around uh, iteration threads. So you can have a, a snapshot of the work you're doing, a request of the kind of feedback you want, and then you have a discussion. Now, the interesting thing there is that the discussion becomes transparent and public. Which means that, for example, if I get a new hire, they can just go back and read maybe a two or three discussions right, that happened on past designs. And they start saying, oh, people discussing this way. This is how my team gives feedback. And it's all transparent. And that becomes implicit also mentoring on how to give good feedback. Mm -hmm. Because now you're seeing an entire team that is giving a synchronous feedback on a design 
And it's there, it's visible, it's transparent. And it builds up knowledge, right? And this for me is also a little bit of, of an issue for a lot of the design tools out there because they tend to resolve discussions, right? Uh-huh. So you are in Figma or you are in whatever, in Vision or whatever tool out there. You put a marker, you give feedback, you have the discussion, you click resolved, and the discussion is gone. Ah, uh, there's no <laughs> there's no transcript. There's no history. There's no transcript. You can go and find a history somewhere, but it's very different from a tool like, you know, um, I think, for example, Abstract is doing something in this direction. Okay. And so I think that the tooling around design feedback is still deeply lacking. Interesting. Yeah. I had never considered that before, that like, that almost the destructiveness of of uh, resolving a comment, just because the rest of the team could it could just literally sweep right by. And also hides decisions, right? If there was a decision in there, maybe Absolutely. a critical decision about the design. Now you, how do you find it again three weeks later? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that, that really is knowledge management and the sort of collective wisdom of the team and where does that reside and how do you propagate that again when new people join the team and, and all of that. Uh, interesting. Uh, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet users obviously expect a fast user experience, no matter how targeted your marketing content or how sleek your website is. They'll bounce if a page is loading too slowly. But with real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance affects your visitor's experience. So you can take action before your business is impacted, and it's as low as $10 a month. So uh, whether your visitors are all over the world or across browsers, devices, and platforms, Pingdom helps you identify the bottlenecks, helps you troubleshoot performance, helps you make informed optimizations. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability, and that means you can monitor millions of page views, not just sample data, and do it at an affordable price. Get live website performance visibility today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM. Right now, 30-day free trial, no credit card required. Then, if you're ready to buy, use the code PRESENTABLE at checkout. You get awesome 30% off your first invoice. So thanks, Pingdom, from SolarWinds for their support of this show and all of RelayFM. All right, so we were talking a little bit about feedback and remote work. Uh, and I'd, I'd love to talk a, a, a bit more about that. A lot of the tools, as you mentioned, uh, are not great places as like storing this notion of, of feedback. I, I wonder, have you experienced a good workflow around that, especially in the remote environment? Uh, yes. So um, the company was working before Automatic. I still think it's probably one of the best asynchronous work companies in the world. Well, they've been doing it for 15 years, haven't they? Right. Yeah. So they have practice, but also the, the idea that they use WordPress to develop a product called a P2 that you can actually use uh, right now as a SaaS service. And this is crafted to create a communication channel. Now, I want to emphasize one thing here. Remote work needs to um, rely on clear and specific communication channels. Right. So you can do good feedback but to do, good, to do good feedback, you need the right communication channel. Because again, if you're using Figma and your only way to give feedback is Figma, you cannot improve beyond the limits of that tool. If all your team communication, that could be design feedback, could be you know, general team communication, collaboration, clarifications, 
happens in a specific asynchronous solid communication channel, like P2, for example, uh, then you can add feedback as one of the things that happen there. You can create these snapshots and these discussions. The tools are still developing, um, but the automatic process is basically around this exact concept. So for example, my previous team had one P2 for the design team for one product. Mm -hmm. So all the converse, design conversation happen within there. And then we created these iteration posts. So every, maybe once or twice a week, the designer has developed enough the concept to post this kind of snapshot and ask for feedback. And then the discussion happens there. And this created a very clear rhythm, right? Yeah. And I it's like asynchronous, that. so you can respond whenever you can. Uh, it's there. It creates a historical track record. And it's within the communication channel that you're already using for everything else. So it's right. not a new thing. It's interesting. There is this dynamic uh, between the way I think about it is like the difference between chat and paragraphs, right? Like, and I have gone back and forth and back and forth and, and also see a place for both, right? For sure. I mean, I think chat is a wonderful tool for getting a bunch of people to do something almost at the same time. It could be, or, or in a process, right? Like if we have to, if we're going to do a pull request and we're going to push out a new bit of code and the developers are everywhere. It's wonderful. It really, really works. If we're going to evaluate whether an interface is like solving the problems it's set out to do, chat is not a good place to do that, right? Paragraphs are really good place. Real-time real feedback may be the best, but again, capturing that institutional knowledge. So I have some experience with P2, uh, as you're describing, um, uh, using Basecamp, uh, quite a mm -hmm. bit also has both it's got the campfire chat but it's also got the paragraphs of like messages and things like that i think notion is interesting for a lot of that especially the combination of visual and writing together uh so there's a there's a lot going on in this space you mentioned abstract as well as working on something yeah like yeah absolutely and i think you touched again a couple of things that are absolutely relevant one is actually develop developers and development has already the right workflows because they have yeah. already, you know, these a lot of these tools model it for exactly the kind of different kinds of conversation needs to happen. And the other thing is, I can mention it's a model. Uh, so before automatic, I used it to work in what was called enterprise 2.0, which was a fancy marketing term to sure. say uh, enterprise collaboration, breakdown silos, and bringing tooling to help people collaborate. Yep. And in the years there, I developed a model that still hasn't failed. That is, good collaboration is based upon three, what I call three speeds. One is real-time, one is asynchronous, and one is stable or storage. Oh, great. What this means yeah. is that you use the real-time, which is chat, which is video, to get the kind of quick uh, clarification, collaboration, exchange, trust building but it cannot hold the more structured and deeper conversation. So you need a different tool that handles your synchronous speed. And again, P2 is an excellent example for that. But again, even um, Facebook Workplace, for example, is a good tool for that. It's asynchronous, has <laughs> threads, has discussions. And then you have a third speed that is the stable one, right? The storage, which means that it's basically wikis. You should have one centralized wiki where all the long-term knowledge builds up. Yeah. 
And when you combine these three spins, and it's often three different tools, but that integrate together, then you have a good foundation for really good collaboration inside your organization. Let me make sure I got that. You had real time, you had asynchronous, and you had storage was the third. That's great. That's uh, I really like that framework. In a real time sense, that could very much be chat or Zoom or or things like that. But we are all we are all looking at the same thing at the same time. Yeah, that's that's great, fantastic. And then yeah, the the almost a blurring between. Uh, are we in an office or are we all over the world? You know, with the exception of real time and time zones, because the, you know, stupid earth is so round and big. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but honestly, it, it matters less, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's really good. Um, then just the last bit, like we have, we have touched on this a bit, but this idea of, of soliciting feedback from your peers Right. Mm-hmm. So we, we've talked a lot about the like managers facilitating and even getting mentorship position or, or uh, relationships going. But being active in your own sort of feedback process, uh, a practice really to say that I want to keep collecting from uh, the people I work with daily, but also just other people I know within the organization and things like that. Do you have any tips for helping people along that path? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, first, I would hope that maybe the organization you're in already has some kind of tooling around that or some kind of process. Mm. If not, I I personally suggest just a combination of things. You can use any survey or any kind of anonymous. Let's talk about anonymous for a second. Mm, yeah, but, good um, point. So any kind of way to collect that kind of information. And usually you can use a lot of the... Um, the formats that exist around retrospective. So you can say what uh, what I should stop doing, what I should continue doing, what I should start doing, for example. These are all standard models you can yeah. find around, you know? I would also always, however, include one extra question that changes um, from feedback to feedback about one specific thing you're trying to improve. So you send out the survey, you collect the data, you review it, and then you can create your own plan and your own progress. The the note about anonymous or not, I think it's mostly a matter of um, trust building. So in general, we try to avoid anonymous uh, feedback right. for two reasons. One, because I hope you work in a team that has that level of trust. And second, because if there is a clarification, you can actually reach out to the person and get deeper into the feedback you received. From time to time, could it be still useful to do an anonymous one because it gives you, you know, maybe they were too afraid of say certain things. So you could check in every once in a while with something more anonymous. Or if you are in a low trust team, as a first step to build that trust. And what I mean with that is that if you start with an anonymous in a low trust team and then you show the team and this is valid both for individual people, managers, and, and the like. And then you show that you actually listened to the feedback and you were able to change, transform, or make something. Then this helps the whole team to say, oh, okay, this person was actually receptive. They That's were great. Open. I yeah. gave a really negative feedback, but they were still able to do something about it. It's not a universal thing. Some teams really need to work on, on their trust level. But it's one piece, one small piece that could have been built up a level of trust. 
Interesting. All right. So I tell you two things from that that have struck me here. One, for some reason, that never occurred to me that you could just send a survey. You know, like just go to Typeform and do a get a free account and like, what should I do more of? What should I do less of? What should I keep doing? Or you know, mm-hmm. that kind of uh, wonderful. That's great. That's a great idea. Um, make it very easy to collect the feedback. Great. But the but closing the loop. Hey, uh, last quarter I asked you and you said this, and so I've done this. That's really powerful. Uh, that's great. Um, you are going to be speaking on this topic coming up at, uh, an event apart. They're doing, uh, yeah. I believe it's still virtual, right? We're still in the virtual world. When it comes to- all right. All right. Uh, but the, the whole lineup looks great. I have a bunch of friends over there. Um, so I, I'll put a link to, to that in the show notes here. Where else, uh, can people find out more? You've got a website, you're on the, uh, uh yes. social networks. I have, um, on Twitter, I'm for double L double T. And you can also subscribe to the newsletter if you want a very minimal amount of information, very condensed. But I have my website where I try to write a lot of this content because I try, in a way, I try to be efficient. So every time someone asks me a question, instead of just answering them, I tend to transform it in an article that could be beneficial to everyone. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so my site is more of a repository of information about design, leadership, remote management, and it's you can pretty much search and see what comes up. That's great. That's great. I will put links to your website, to your Twitter, uh, to all of that uh, in the notes for this episode. And Aaron, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen and this was Presentable. Presentable.